Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I'm Christoph Newman. And I am Nate Jones. We're here to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to the podcast. If you're new here, please pull up a virtual chair and uh, get in, head on back to episode one. That would probably give you the best context. Uh, or go to closuredesign.club and you can see all the series that we have. We are right now in the midst of a series called Sportify. Uh, so if you are new to that, uh, please go back to episode 101. That's right. Sportify, Sportify, Sportify. Our mission at Sportify is to flood social media with sports highlights. <laughs> and so that's what we're doing. We are automating the process of creating highlight videos. But of course, this is all about closure and functional programming and not so much about video processing. We'll leave that to a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of them out there. <laughs> So here in our world of Sportify, so far, to remind you of where we're at, we figured out the process using our REPL. We created an end-to-end -end tracer bullet to, to automate that process. And then we started using this because Bossman wants us to make so many highlight videos now. And now we're seeing the full gamut of highlight videos. We're realizing, oh no, um, <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. The, uh, the uh, electronic demons have possessed this code, and every now and again, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. I, it couldn't be me. It must have been something else. Yes, our, our veritable flood of social media highlights has, has been reduced to a trickle because of these bugs. <laughs> yes. We don't know. I mean, we're using Clojure. Everything should be perfect, right? No bugs. Right. I mean, if this was, you know, JavaScript or something, we would expect bugs all over the place. But closure, it should just <laughs> it should work the first time, right? <laughs> we repled too, so we should definitely not have any problems. Oh, you know what we, we forgot? We didn't have an episode on hammock time. We didn't we didn't sit in the hammock before. That was that was the big bug we had. Yes, yes. If we had sat in the hammock longer, we would have gotten it. <laughs> no, I love hammock time for figuring out hard problems. But in this case, I think we have a simple problem of testing. And so last week, we started separating out our pure logic from our IO so we could start testing it. And it was just little, it was just little, you know, it was basically taking data from the database or da data from the MAM and, and taking the the huge swath of, of, of information and paring it down to just what we needed. And so we came up with these little extractor functions that just took out the important parts and, and just gave us what we needed for the, for our application. So when we could print it out, we could know, I don't care, you know, what, who the author of this clip was or who the, you know, how, how, how long that request took or anything like that. I just want to know the information just for our process. And so we were able to do that. But then we had a we hit a problem. Oh no. This is simple extractors are no match for logic, you know, where you need to make decisions. So how do we test things more complicated? That's right. And you know, the extractor is the E in ETL if you're a data warehouse person, right? <laughs> so maybe there's a, a T, a transform. So maybe we'll call them ET functions. I don't know. <laughs> but we want to take that data that we have brought in. And think about it. And so what else could possibly go wrong in our logic, right? A lot of this is just grabbing. And so I was thinking about this some more because we have all these cases where we want to test the download. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm using the word test in a different context. Ooh, a check. Yes, we do not want to re-download these giant video clips unless we really, really need to. And th- what does need to mean, <laughs> right? That's logic. <laughs> the computer does not have an intuition for this. <laughs> we must specify. And so in this case, I mean, need to could just simply be we look to see if this file, because we did this pivot strategy. I can't remember which specific episode, but we did a pivot mm-hmm. strategy where we downloaded it to a temp file and then we move it in place. And so if it's there, we know it got downloaded fully, right? But I mean, maybe this clip is a bit too old. Maybe it's changed in the MAM. Somebody realized there was a problem with it and and we had run it and it had blown up or or maybe... We ran it. We made the highlight reel. Somebody in marketing looked at it and said, ah, we need to fix the clip. And so now we need to run this again. We need to get, we need to get the new thing, you know, not, not the old thing with, uh, you know, the streaker didn't get cut out of the clip, right? <laughs> <laughs> or the celebration did get cut out. You know, you got you to have the right <laughs> amount of celebration after all those line crossings and uh, goal scorings and stuff. That's true. Yeah, I think, That's true. Yeah, I think I think it's 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 funny to, to think about like, well, I mean, we're doing a relatively simple process. We're downloading things and we're compiling them together in, into a file. But it's amazing just how much logic is all throughout this process. You know, there's there there's for for any given highlight, it's straightforward. But the problem is as soon as you make a process, there's always going to be people that come and say, oh, well, I want to do this differently. Or I want, I want to decide that differently. Or like we learn more things about the world. Like this clip, like we downloaded all the seven clips for this highlight, but one of them, it was the wrong, wrong length. And so they made a new one. And now the checksum's different. Well, we never knew about the checksum. We only, we only know, we only knew does, is downloaded or not. So the you know, our boss sent us another email in our asynchronous message bus and <laughs> yes. we learned a new bit about the world. And this happens all the time where you, oh, I didn't even know the checksum. So we go to our pure extractor function and we say, when we get stuff out of the MAM, make sure we add the checksum there too. Oh, so now we know that relevant bit of information, but our logic around should we download this file or not is not a simple, does the file exist? Now it's, does the file exist and have the right checksum? If experience is any indicator, there will always be a third or a fourth and a fifth uh, thing that we need to gather about the file. Like you always need more information. Right. And this is a great example. This is an expansion of logic, right? We went from a simple case to a more complicated case. And maybe it's going to get even more complicated, right? Because maybe they don't have checksums in the MAM. So maybe we just have to use recency and go, well, you know, if it's more than 15 minutes old, we're not recovering from a failed run. We just need to assume it's stale. And and this is exactly what we want to test, right? We want to get this into a unit test. One of the reasons why you test is so that when you cha- make this kind of logic change, you want to make sure that everything continues to function. Like if you if you never make changes to your code, then the tests are less useful because your your experience is kind of that test you're built in there. But if you if you, you need to write tests so that when you make future changes, your old self is there sitting right next to you, uh, making sure that the old use cases are all covered, so that you can only have to think about the new use cases. It's kind of a, it's like it's like a way of encoding your 
your your logic into the program so that it helps you. Yeah, and that goes back to some of our discussion last time where we were joking, oh no, is REPL-oriented development a failure because we didn't have an army of unit tests, right? We should do test-driven development instead. That's a great example. Tests are really effective when you're trying to handle a lot of cases. And one of those situations is when you're adding new cases, right? Mm -hmm. And so REPLing, you're figuring it out test, you're kind of locking it down and you're making sure that you have coverage in all these different situations so that when you add in new situations, you know, you didn't screw up the old situations. <laughs> exactly. And, and this is why what you do with most software is you expand it. So we're expanding it. Well, how do we, how do we approach this problem? How do we approach the, the we're adding logic but we also want to be able to test it. Yeah, and our biggest obstacle here is this the fact that logic and IO is mixed up together. So we are in a little bit of a different situation than the previous discussion because previous discussion we were calling out over the network, we were calling the database and bringing in a response and wanting to pick out the important parts and calling the MAM and bringing in the response and wanting to pick out the important parts. <laughs> but in this case, we're, we have this like do seek loop here that's uh, taking all the clips, generating what the file names are supposed to be, and then looking in the file system, hey, is that file there? And of course, mm -hmm. the logic we want to add is well, what's the checksum? Because, oh, and we, we can go and modify our extractor too, so that our extractor pulls a checksum out of the MAM response because we didn't, we didn't mm -hmm. have that need before. And hey, we can update the extractor unit test to make sure that the checksum exists and we can update the <laughs> examples <laughs> to have checksums in them, right? And uh, we get that working. So we have this do seek loop that's taking these clips and it's generating the file names and then it's running a checksum on the file and it goes, oh, it didn't pass. So then it downloads it and then it loops and it kind of goes to the next file. That's sort of this very imperative solution that we have right now. How do we pull this apart? In that whole description, did it pass? That's, that's the part. <laughs> it's like you, you're talking about this IO and this gathering and then there, so right in the middle, you said, did it pass? And that's, you're right. That's exactly the logic we need. And, 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 and. <laughs> It's so funny that like such a small amount of so, so few words can be so important because getting reading the file system to see if a file exists. Well, that's I'm pretty sure that code is tested. Uh, doing an MD5 summer, a, a SHA-256, right? I'm pretty sure that code is already tested. Uh, going and downloading the file. I'm sure AWS's SDK is already tested. Like we don't need to test those things. And thankfully, those are the parts of, the, uh, of our process that's I.O., the stuff that's bespoke, that's just ours, is that, did it pass? Yeah, we don't need to retest the I.O. that in, I guess, if we're coding the I.O., but in this case, we're just using I.O. that Java and libraries give us, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the ability to call the network. So, because we don't really need to test that I.O., I know what we should do, Nate. We should create I.O. handle factories oh. <laughs> so that we can separate out the pure logic by mocking all the <laughs> IO handle factories oh. so that we don't actually have any IO side effects 
And then we, we, that will, we can have a mock result description language. So we could create a DSL so that when we mock the file system factory, we can use our DSL to specify the kind of result, you know, that the mock would give us in this case. And, uh, and then that way we can really isolate that logic and test it. What do you think? That sounds wonderful. Let's do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I so when, when, as you're talking, all I hear you say is, right, we want to write more code and write more code and write more code and write more code. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait. No, no. We want to test our code. We don't want to... <laughs> We don't want to spend our life <laughs> writing code because you write the code and then did you write the mock correctly? How do you write a test for the mock? Oh, no. <laughs> it, right. This doesn't really actually help us get rid of side effects, right? <laughs> it does in a way because we're not calling the actual disk, but we're still writing things in a very imperative sort of way, right? We're, we're, we're operating under this delusion that this thing that has all kinds of actual side effects in the real world for this test case, we're going to sort of smooth those over and not let it throw, you know, inconvenient things, right? But mm -hmm. really, really, I think we need to just completely pivot our approach here. <laughs> what are you saying, Nate? Well, yeah, and, and it gets back to what you said earlier. It's it's the, the problem is that we have, you know, IO logic, IO logic, IO logic. We have, we have those two things right next to each other. And what we should do instead is completely invert uh, our thinking. Instead of being very imperative, like where I am right now is so important in the code. It's let's gather information that we can then decide on, separate those two things. Right. And then once we do that, then we can do pure logic on that data. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is very similar to what we just did. Uh, in, in the previous code, we were talking about calling the database, and it gives us a response. Oh, right. And then we have an extractor function that picks out the important parts, right? Call the MAM extractor function. Well, back before the internet, some of us are older, and some <laughs> of us are younger. Uh, I'm not going to say who. I'm glad you didn't say some <laughs> of us are older than the internet. That would be not a good <laughs> But I do remember when this thing called an API mostly meant something that was calling a disk or a graphics card or mm. a piece of hardware on the computer. <laughs> and then over time, it evolved to be, you know, this thing over in the network. And But that's what we're doing. Same thing, right? We're calling out to the file system mm -hmm. via the API in order to get information. And so if we treat this kind of IO in a similar manner, exactly. let's go ahead and let's call out to the file system using the API and have, and it's going to give us its stuff. In this case, it's not going to be a JSON API. It's going to be a Java object model because, you know, Java. And <laughs> we're going to extract from right. those POJOs. <laughs> no. Right? Gotta, I got to use these terms every now and again, or else I'm just going to forget them all. <laughs> the value beans, right? Or uh, what were they called? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. The, the Java Pojos. beans, the mm -hmm. Pojos, and, and we're going to take those and we're going to pull out what we want. We're going to pull out the path and the file name, maybe the file size, um, and then maybe we're going to go, oh, Java didn't tell me the checksum. This is uh, apparently, it's not like ZFS, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So we just don't have a checksum at hand. So now I'm going to call another function that's going to open that file, generate a checksum. So API of sorts. we do yes. an IO call, collect information, create a representation of 
our own internal representation. So we're going to ET this again, extract and transform, and create our own little representation of the files that exist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're just, it, you really have to think of the, the file system, even though it's local on your system, it still is a remote source of information. And that's why you have to do IO to get to it. And so because of that, you, you, if you treat it the same way where you extract information and make a working representation. So it's not, again, just like we talked about with the MAM or the, or the, the database. There's a lot more information that comes back but we don't need all that information. We just need a few bits of it. And so we create a working representation of that. Right. Well, great. Now we have data. We've done work, right? <laughs> right, right. Now we have data. Now we have a representation of file information. And so if we know, okay, what, what do I need? Right. So we can make a function that um, opens a directory and gives us a list of files that exist in that directory. Right, that's now pure data, that list of files. Mm -hmm. Then we can make a function that um, takes a single file, the, the Java file object or path object, depending on which way you got there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and gives you a pure data representation. Why, why do this? Well, it certainly makes debugging easier, right? It certainly makes it clear to the, the reader what bits actually matter in this thing mm -hmm. when you create that pure data representation. And so then um, now all of a sudden you find yourself in this great position where you can comp these, you can, you well, not comp, but you can essentially stitch these two things together, thread them together, right? Because you have a pure function. Well, you have a, a function which is built into Clojure already, FileSeq, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so you have FileSeq, which is built into Clojure. And then, you know, our own little extractor function. Hey, that's pure, right? We could we can create file objects and so on and so forth if we needed to test that. And uh, then we can thread those together and get something that takes us from a directory to file information. Great. But once we have this pure representation of a file, and then, oh, yeah, and then the other function that generates a checksum. And so then we can make a function that sort of threads this IO together and goes from, you know, file object all the way through checksum. We, we get this pure representation of here are all the bits of the file that matter. Well, now we can make a pure function, a pure predicate that takes the clip information and the file information and tells us, hey, is, is this done? Is this complete? Or, or is there work to do here? Do we need to download this again? Mm -hmm. It takes the working representation of the clip from the MAM and the working representation of the file information from the disk, and, and it can make a decision. So the answer to how do we how do we test our logic? Well, maybe not the answer, but how do we put, where, where do we put our logic <laughs> is in this predicate. So the predicate is the, like, it will, does it pass? I think that's what we, what we're working with. It could be all, you know, we can call this function, does it pass? But no, I like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, file needed or, you know, download needed or something like that. And usually in Clojure, we end those functions with a question mark because we're asking a question. We're asking a question that requires logic. And the nice thing about this function that you just described is we're handing it all the information it needs to make the decision. And right. because we're handing it all the information it needs to make the decision, in our test code, 
we can make up all kinds of different kinds of data. Like we can make up every scenario that we discover in real life. Usually real life is a good place to find errors. <laughs> um, we, can, we can figure out what that data representation, the internal representation will look like because it's our representation. It's our program's way of looking at the world. And so we know how to, we could just make data. Uh, I was hesitate to call them factories, but um, we can make <laughs> little generator functions <laughs> that make the right shape of data. Yeah, little helper generators, right? right? Yeah, and and they and they can craft the different scenarios in data that represent all the real life situations we found, and we can hand them into this complete function and and test to make sure that it gives us the right output, and and that's kind of like the point. Exactly, because this deals with one of the problems of using built-ins. One of the problems of using built-ins is, well, what parts of that matter? And then you don't really know which parts of it matter without going and looking at all the call sites. Mm, And so if you have an extractor, you know, oh, the name matters, the path matters, the file size matters in this case. Um, Because, hey, if the file size doesn't match, maybe we're not even going to bother checksumming. I don't know. You know, we could make this really sophisticated if we want. But But what matters? You know, and so then in your unit test, you have a really clear structure to generate on that internal representation, right? The 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 parts that matter. That that's what you were saying. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so it just keeps keeps that front and center. And so we are just we are creating these representations. We're building up this system of these internal representations, and. And, and these pure things are the subjects in our unit tests. And, and we can test all kinds of things now as, we, as we're kind of accreting these different representations and this different working information into this kind of larger and larger and larger context of pure information of where we're at right now. Yeah. And, and, and the nice thing is because it's all data, it's just data. That means that we can. It, it's much easier to test, and those all those tests run a lot faster than anything that would involve I/O, and and so we kind of you know we have the the event clips from the database. We sorry the event clips the event information from the database, and we have the clips from the MAM, and now we have the files from the file system, you know, and 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 so I think one of the things we're kind of coming to is that you know gathering up the ingredients for our logic is its own first class operation. It's something you do that's important to do before it, and to separate that from your logic. It's easy when you're doing IO in the imperative way. You you do IO and you get some information you're like, "Wow, great. I should make a decision about this because I have this data right now." And and instead what we're talking about is having a little bit of patience and accumulating the data all at once so that we can then make all the decisions at once. And and that really allows us to test things well. Yeah, and there are ways to make that more efficient or less efficient. There are ways to have, if you know this IO is local, there are mm-hmm. ways to have like a lazy seek that's going to pull, actually do the file checksum in the file IO as you sort of pull on that lazy seek, which you put together, you know, using a combination of pure testable functions and IO not so testable. <laughs> so there's ways to handle the efficiency side of it, right? But conceptually, right. You know, you're gathering that data as the first class operation 
you're sort of setting the table with all the pieces that are defined in your working world and then ha- creating unit tests in terms of those. All right. So we've now added our unit tests. We check the checksum. We have all of our logic and everything like that. And then there's an error in our program again. Well, well, that doesn't really help us make the test because we need to know what was the program doing? How do, how do we how do we even debug? It died. I, <laughs> we can only look at its dead corpse on the ground. We can't actually know what it was thinking. <laughs> right. We went through the situations we thought of and we made tests for them. We refactored and made tests. And apparently this was a situation we didn't think of. The world was like, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to love this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do we know? How do we get a visibility into what the program was thinking at the time? Uh, but I think we've run out of time. So let's do that next week. Shall Sounds good? Yes, the time exception has been thrown. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, time is another good IO. Yeah, sorry, sorry. All right, that's it for now. That's right. Yes, we love talking about closure and we would love to talk about closure with you. The best way to come talk about closure together is to join the closure in Slack and head on over to the closure design dash podcast channel in that Slack. Ask us your questions there and we would love to answer them. If you would like more asynchronous, uh, shall we say, you know, a little bit slower communication, which is fine. Maybe more hammock time could be involved. You can send us an email at feedback at closuredesign.club. Or tweet at us at Closure Design. Yep. And uh, go, go on to closuredesign.club in your web browser, Chrome or Safari or Firefox or whatever you like to use. And you can there, there you will see our past shows and show notes. And there's a whole list of series on the front page there. Uh, so you can see what, what, um, what might be interesting to listen to next. That will give you plenty to look at until next week when we'll be back. Until then, thanks for listening.